0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of In Conversation. My name is Pat King, a contributor at Years to Feed. The heaviness that Emma Ruth Rundle is able to achieve on her new record, Engine of Hell, is an elemental force that transcends any discussion around the volume of her music. Out now on Sargent House, the record is a complete solo affair, with all of its eight songs sung and performed by Rundle with either piano or acoustic guitar as accompaniment. With her early beloved projects such as The Nocturnes, Red Sparrows, and Marriages, as well as her fantastic solo records, Rundle had always found the balance between doom-infused metal, post-rock, and crystalline gothic folk. With this album, she has stripped away all of the pummeling drums and sludgy distortion of her previous work to make a record that is overwhelming with its honesty and intimacy. Rundle joined me today on In Conversation to discuss the solo adventure of writing and recording Engine of Hell, how finding dance helped her as she now lives a life of sobriety, the joys and pitfalls of being the, quote, solo female singer on metal bills, her amazing collaborative albums with metal greats Thou, and so much more. I hope you enjoy. Emma Ruth Rundle, welcome to the podcast. Thanks thanks so much for joining me.
1: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: So how how are you doing? Are, are you back? Are you in LA right now or?
1: I'm in Portland, Oregon. I live in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, I'm from LA, but this is where I live now.
0: Oh, cool. Cool. Uh, I know you were um, out of the country for a little bit. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I was in the UK. I got back about two weeks ago. I was over there um, attending an art show and then doing some collaborations with um uh, John Bradburn <laughs> who's a video artist and the director.
0: Sweet. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. How, how was it? Was that your first time out of the country since the pandemic or?
1: Yes, it was. It was my first, my first big travel, my first time going to an event. Um, it was really great. It was mentally refreshing. I felt super fortunate to be able to go, uh, wasn't the smartest thing. I don't know. I mean, I didn't get COVID. We were super careful, um, testing regularly. We were like giving away free packs of the antigen tests. I got a whole box of them in the Birmingham train station. So, um, my really good friend, like Armstrong, who's a visual artist uh, and a makeup artist, came with to help with the collaboration on the videos we did there. And we were just testing ourselves regularly um but it was amazing to be around other people (laughs) right Uh, be in a room with other people celebrating art and music I didn't I don't know I consider myself kind of an introverted person um and I guess I've just taken for granted all of that stuff and how important it is to our for our mental health but also just like you know I don't know. Being part of the community in person felt really good.
0: It's so it's so true. Like it it is such. I I forgot how much of like a mental lift it is. You know i i I think it's it's almost like um like I, I've only been to I'm I'm starting to go to more short shows now, but I've I've been to less than ten shows since we've been able to go to shows and i it does feel like a before and after like like it feels like my my disposition is that much sunnier from going to my first show you know post pandemic even though i I guess we're still in the pandemic but
1: (laughs) yeah we still are but i think we just have to figure out a way to live with it you know
0: yeah yeah for sure um so can you tell me about any of the, uh, the music videos or the videos that you were working on? I, I know that's something, um, that you've become really interested in and kind of, um, you know, especially, and I forgot the name of the video, uh, my apologies, but, that's okay. Uh, return. Uh, return yeah. yeah. Um, but, but it seems like that's, that's something that's really kind of, got its holds and I, I, I guess it's claws in you, you know, something that's really exciting you. Um, what, what was the video that you were working on?
1: The one Well, we worked on, I did three different thing visual projects while I was there. Um, videos that go with songs from my upcoming album. Um, so the one was already, one of them has already been released for the song blooms of oblivion and that, um, and then the other one is for the final song on the record called In My Afterlife and one that will be released next week called The Company. Um, that last one, just my friend Like and I did ourselves. I had, like, uh, had a dream and we went out and made it a real thing. So um, being able to bring visual storytelling uh, as another expression and another dynamic and another facet to the songs on this record has been exhilarating, um, super cathartic and exciting creatively in a way that just music alone, it's very different. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've, I'm So I didn't know how obsessed I would become with these uh, concepts and how exciting it would be to execute them when you have these ideas in your mind and then getting to see them actually happening, it's a cool experience. I hope that everyone gets to, uh, I guess it's like seeing your dreams become reality. I guess if they were horrible nightmares, that wouldn't be super great, but it just (laughs) enables me to like tell the story of the song, um, more, you know, a lot of the work on this record is, it it is obscure. It's like it is it is poetry and remains obscure. And I think that being able to pair a visual with it allows me to gently tell the story without pushing things into a super explicit space where it's like this is what happened and then this happened. You know, it's, it's not that way. It's more of a like a gestalt, I guess. I don't know. I could ramble on forever, so I'll just <laughs> stop
0: talking. <laughs> no, no. Um, it it's really interesting because I I know that you um did the choreography um for the for the music video as well for the return and um and you know listening to the record it's 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 a very all the um orchestrations are are very minimal and it's it's a very direct and and very um intense intensely recorded solo record in in that regard and it's it's very interesting to to kind of read you talk about um, being interested in in things like ballet and and dance and choreographing uh dances and, and movements to these songs, you know, because they are these direct pieces and kind of the explanation is there for you if if you just want to wade through the lyrics, um, it's it's funny having that visual aspect be the other thing that would be an explanation. Um, what kind of what kind of drew you to ballet and modern dance? when it came to these songs?
1: Oh, well, I guess that it was just kind of the other way around. And that I had, um, I've been in a process of like on a journey of recovery this year. And when I got sober, I, um, I wasn't able to like stand on one leg, uh, my body, um, and the years of touring I just had to become weak and had no coordination I mean but exercising is not something that I'm like drawn to I love walking as part of a meditative thing I do but I needed some kind of way to get my brain and my limbs to start having a conversation again uh so that I can at my age you know maintain what I have and strengthen my body but I needed to entice my inner creative being to say like oh yeah okay I'll do this you know this is an exercise this is an art form there's a ballet studio a dance studio down the street from where I my apartment here and I moved here in January and just kind of started taking walks down to the river and would walk by the sign you know they have a little sandwich board outside Adult dance classes and I was like um okay yeah why not you know I've, I've, I think this might be the way to do it uh, my stepmom teaches Tai Chi Cho which is it's not Tai Chi but it's got some similar ideas um and that had kind of introduced me to joyful movement and then going to the dance classes i am not a dancer this is my big disclaimer because people are picking up on this a lot and i want to make it very clear that i'm not a dancer (laughs) That would be an insult to all of the people that have dedicated their lives to the art form but it's a wonderful way to be in my body that is a, a choice to be here it helps my brain talk to my limbs and I found that it was a very cathartic thing to express emotion through the body and movement. Um, so just by doing that, going there, taking the adult ballet classes, I started dancing in my apartment. And then when it came time to work on the return video, I had all these images of that needed to be part of it. And, as I was listening to the song, kind of trying to put together the treatment and the storyboard, um, just this kind of like a dance came to to me, and I I just started doing it every day. So yeah, I guess that is a chore choreographed dance. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, and it's also a great opportunity to be to to learn a new art form, or at least embark on the process of learning and and being new and novice there's something always exciting about a novel anything but um it's nice to be bad at something too you know like abandoning the electric guitar which is something i've worked on my whole career and trading that in for dance or something like that that has a whole new vocabulary oh, it's good for the brain
0: Yeah, totally. Um, as someone who, um, gave up, I I gave up drinking this last year. Um, uh, and, uh, as as I'm holding my, my spin drift can, (laughs) um, uh, and I, I feel like the thing that I kind of use to fill that space was running. Like, I feel like it's a similar thing, like where, I don't know, like, I, I feel like for you know, people who write, you know, creative people, um, there, there was this weird, I, I think there's this weird connotation where, um, physical activity and exercising is kind of like looked down upon in a weird way. Like, I don't know. Did, did you ever get that sense? Like, I, I feel like that's a thing in like, I don't know. Oh, like, you I mean
1: like, like theater kids versus jocks? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I guess. Idea. Or,
0: or like indie rock Exploited versus yeah, something, type. but like, I don't know. I, I feel like, um, I don't know. It, it just really, I feel like moving around like has made me like a more considerate writer or, or at least, you know, made things seem doable or, or I, I don't know, like, like artistic endeavors just seem more clear in my mind. Is, is that how it's been for you as well? With dance?
1: I definitely, I feel like, okay, well, I haven't danced. I do dance in my apartment almost every day, and I do my little walks, and I do some dancing while I'm walking. I haven't been to a class in over a month, but um, I think that there's just a connection between any kind of exercise and fighting off, you know, depression and all of its kind of associated states, you know? So I think moving your body just... There's some something about that that, I don't know, it, it sends the chemicals to the right places and that enriches your process. Um, for me, the, the dancing, I think that there is like that physical process that happens where you get endorphins, whatever, and that helps you. Um, but also just part of the dancing thing and especially being in that dance space and being in a class is looking at the other people in there and the forms of their body and watching other people do do a crowd do an art with their body was super inspiring I don't know I think there's something about moving in general that like breaks the inertia right like we're all sit, sitting here in our dwelling alone talking to other people on zoom which is so great I love having this opportunity to see your face I'm just super stoked but there's an inertia to like being alone here and like just getting up and walking down the street or going for a run or putting on music and dancing is a great way to break that up. You get all the benefits of the happy chemicals to go with it. Right. I, yeah. I recommend dancing for people of all ages. I think <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a joyful exercise.
0: Yeah. And, and that, like the thing you were talking about, you know, just kind of being humbled by something you're not, you haven't mastered yet is, is something I think that, you know, we get, as we get older, we get set in our ways and we kind of need those things.
1: Oh yeah. I think that's um, valid for sure.
0: (laughs) So I've, I've been a fan of your music for a long time and, um, you know, listening to this record engine of hell, it's, 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 um, it's an odd sentence for me to say, but I feel like this is one of the heaviest records I've ever heard, (laughs) even though, even though it is such an intimate, you know, stripped back solo affair, it's just so direct. And, and so, and I mean this in the best possible way, but it's, it's a hard record for me to listen to in one sitting, you know, just because it is so emotionally intense. And, um, I, I, guess, um, you know, when approaching the record, uh, had that always been your plan of action? Like, had you always wanted to be this kind of very direct and, and solo record or were there other kind of imaginations on, on orchestrations for it?
1: Um, thanks for your words. That's very affirming. I did set out to do this, um, and, Initially, it started as like a production concept years ago. I really, at the core of what I do um, in a bulk of my solo career is singer, songwriter, you know, in its formula. It's it's a person writing a song on an instrument and then delivering lyrics over it. it. And then, you know, there's drums, there's this, there's soaring guitar, um, some of it, some of it's more folky. But at the core of it, all of those songs are written in a way that's represented on this record where it's one instrument and one vocal. Um, there are, you know, some overdubs on the record, but for the most part, it's pretty stark. I think that, so that is a production concept that like, came years ago. I was like really wanted to do a Nick Drake pink moon style, you know, here's the song and here. It is performed in this live sort of very human way. Um, and in a way that you could really sense that when you listen back to the recording, that that's a person in a room performing a song. It's not like a hyper-produced um, album. I love that record, and so that was out there. And the time wasn't right, you know, on Dark Horses and the Val collab, and then this. When it when it came time, I knew that it was time to start this album cycle of writing and that I was going to like finally have this opportunity to do the stripped down record Um, what came out and what is Engine of Hell, the content of it, the lyrical content the melodic content, the songs, the weight of all of that, I think the degree of how unhinged some of that stuff is, that was not planned before necessarily but once it started happening it was like um, this is where it's going, you know, I'm going off the rails on a crazy train. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, like, <Right. laughs> and I was just like, okay, well, do should I fight this? Is this embarrassing? Is this a little bit like too much information to dump out the contents of my soul on the table and kind of just like throw them towards whoever might listen to this album? And it's like at the end of the day, really had to put that aside and just go where it wanted to go. I believe sometimes that art and music and things like have to take on their own sort of like entity space and they want to become something so you can go with it and just let, let it lead you, you know, mm-hmm. um, like with the dancing in return, it's like, okay, I'm doing this dance but I I could stop myself and say, I'm not a dancer. This is weird. This is embarrassing. But at the end of the day, it's what needed. It wanted to do that thing wanted to happen. This record wanted to be what it is. And so I had to just keep following the way it was taking me. And there are definitely things along the road, like other albums, um, like how metal has informed my process that, kind of bolstered the journey and kind of made it okay and gave me permission to do that stuff. Um, again, I think I'm just talking too much now <laughs> I'm oh, no, Go off oh. on a tangent. <laughs>
0: um, I, I guess, you know, with what you were saying, like you, you began to kind of, I guess, lyrically start to mine some things that were unexpected. Um, did it almost help that you had these parameters set that it would be kind of like a solo record for you to kind of explore those lyrical ideas more like not, I guess, not having, you know, other, you know, band members or anything like that to kind of explain like the material to was, it, was it easier for you to kind of get it off your chest so to speak?
1: I think, yeah, I, I think what it was more so was that knowing there wasn't going to be anything to cover up what I was saying that I would not be using reverb or delay. I wasn't going to have textural elements, rhythmic elements coming in that would distract that putting the vocal very forward was going to place a focus on the lyrics that meant they had to be super intentional and specific and correct for what my, um, artistic intention was for the song uh you know do i think that they're all perfect absolutely not but i spent a lot of time writing the record and maybe not that i rushed lyrics in the past like lyrics is is a big thing that i spend a lot of time on but there was no room to let anything slide you know um there's so much weight on every thing that's said it had to be that way, like because there was no distracting, there is no distracting or obscuring element or um, device used on the record. So that and um, it, not having a band and being alone writing the songs, what it really actually allowed for was me to change my singing style instead of singing in a very like chest projecting, forceful, like more volume. I need to sing at this volume to sing over a band or to like deliver this to an audience who is here to see the metal band after me. I didn't think about that stuff on this record. So I was able to sing in a lot of falsetto, which is so quiet um, that it it adds to that feeling of being very close, uh, very small space and could communicate the fragility of the emotion that is connected to the song. So by not having anyone else on the record or in the room or anything during that process, I could really go to a very small world um, to communicate those really tiny, strange places in the mind out into the music.
0: Yeah, that that closeness, it, it almost like... I've been listening to it in headphones and and it, it does have this feeling of like, Oh, should I, should I be listening to this? (laughs) Like, like it feels like, it feels like you're, yeah, it's, it's just this very dark night of the soul kind of feel like it, it feels very confessional and everything. And, and, um, of course it's confessional, it's a, (laughs) but, um, I I appreciate what you were saying about the attention to, to lyrics about how everything kind of need to have purpose in the way maybe it didn't before. I I guess when writing, has it ever happened to you where um, you may have like a placeholder lyric or something that you intend on going back and fixing. And, and then when you do go back and fix it, it's a little more powerful than you once thought or something or, or it's like the perfect lyric or something like, does that ever happen? Or is it usually more, um, is it more kind of intentional when you write things out?
1: Um, placeholder lyrics are definitely a thing. Um, whether I go back and like, if have I gone back and discovered gold later? Um, yeah. sorry, not usually, usually you really know. Um, I mean, even since I guess I can say this, like when I was in Marriages, the band I was in after Red Sparrows with some of the members, the, vo- the vocal was meant to be more of an instrument happening in the band. And so there were placeholder lyrics that going back, I was like, this is just actually fine. You know, it like kind of treats this general idea of the world of the song and doesn't need to be super fine-tuned. That can live in that space. There wasn't room on this record for that to happen. I don't think I always was able to like, you know, writing for me and like, it sounds like you have the similar experience is a process of refining. If this gets too loud, let me know.
0: Oh, so no. Hear yeah.
1: That. Okay. I,
0: yeah. I, I think it's good. Um,
1: okay. Uh, it's a process of like refining. You have a statement or a phrase, a line, and it can be a matter of just switching out words so on and so forth. Um, there are still flaws on this record for me. And since I've been practicing to perform at a festival next month, there are things that I um, might sing differently live. But usually those things like just kind of stick at you every time you say them, you know, when you're performing or recording, you're like, oh, that isn't necessarily the right thing. But for the most part on this one, I, I worked out as much of that. I didn't let that stuff slide as much as I might have on another record. Right. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. So I I recently talked to Marissa Nadler and um, one thing that we talked about, which I I think you're the perfect person to talk to about this is um, she is someone where I feel like she deals a lot with murder ballads and kind of this Gothic folk. And because of that has been embraced by the metal community in this, in this weird way. Um, And as someone who kind of grew up both a fan of, you know, people like Gillian Welch and Emily Lou Harris and, and, and just folk in general, um, John Prine, people like that, um, who write in these kind of like very morose, territories. Um, Yeah, I've, I've always like, I've always felt the kinship between heavy music and folk music. Like it, it just made sense to me in my brain. And, um, as someone like you, who kind of deals in both worlds, like you, you've been in heavy bands, you've, um, made very stripped down records like this one. Um, was that something that you grew up with thinking as well? Like, did you kind of see the similarities between doom metal and and murder ballads <laughs>
1: like, what's that oh, for sure, it? yeah yeah absolutely i'm so happy uh from marissa's new album it's beautiful i really love her i just thought i'd take this opportunity to say what a what a wonderful being um and a wonderful musician she is i have very good fond memories about meeting her and kind of how our friendship has developed over the years. Um, I'm just, she's so cool. Uh, and that new record is great. Um, there, Yeah, there's absolutely connection. I mean, a lot of, this. I worked in a folk music store for 13 years in LA in a guitar shop and we had all kinds of, we had concerts there every weekend. And I got to hear a lot of that kind of music and it definitely set in my soul and, um, um I too love Emmy Lou Harris. So that album Wrecking Ball is like one of my favorite albums of all time.
0: Yeah. Um That's that's one that's another one that's that's very hard for me to get through all the way. Like the the Jimi Hendrix cover on that album is one mm-hmm. of the most beautiful things I've ever heard, I think. Like the Lenoir crazy guitar on that so
1: incredible i have the deluxe like version uh, on vinyl that has all these songs that aren't on the other version i have anyway um okay there's a connection for sure i don't know i think it's just a territory that both genres happen to explore um i know that in a lot of like the Appalachian kind of folk stuff those and even some of the like kind of trying to think of what specific artists i remember i guess like thinking about um pentangle i went through a phase when i was a teenager i was like super into pentangle and they had some songs where like (sighs) um the one sister kills the other sister like and then there's the one song where the woman runs away with the you know she's married to the house carpenter and runs away with the guy on the ship but then god like punishes them because they're sinners and they they end up sinking into the you know dying and having to contemplate what horrible people they were like all these really miserable stories you know with like really explicit lines about how you know this she's like willingly leaving her children and thinks about it as she's drowning all this kind of stuff pretty metal you know (laughs) yeah
0: totally well I I always thought it was great like um like Jason Molina of like Magnolia Electric Company would always talk about like how like Black Sabbath was the biggest influence on his projects and like it I, I wonder if it's like the gothic like biblical imagery you know between like this kind of music and and heavier music I don't I don't know
1: there's some kind of fascination with the dark side, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, on both, um, and, and both trees, you know. I, I think there's probably like a, an ethnomusicologist somewhere that's got a chart about this, and who can like give a full rundown and explanation about where it actually came from and why.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, I, I guess you know, playing in in red sparrows and and marriages. And then doing this, um, doing your solo records, I'm, I'm sure you have so many instances where, um, being a solo performer on a metal bill, um, may have seemed like a hurdle, like, has, has it ever felt daunting in that way? Like kind of, or has, I I guess, have those crowds kind of accepted a solo performer, like have, have they been receptive in that way usually?
1: Um, over the years, I would say that for the most part, yes. I've toured with metal bands, quote unquote, but typically they're like sort of genre crossing and have really wonderful audiences. Um, also, it helps when the band you're touring with is very vocal about being stoked to have you on the tour, you know, and that's clear <laughs> to the audience. Um, <laughs> The last tour I did, like I did fully solo. Actually, it was the last tour I did. Period. I was on tour with Cult of Luna um, an Intronaut, and Cult of Luna were headlining, and I didn't take a band. Um, it's it's typically pretty great. It it can be daunting. It can be unsettling. Have I played shows where people are total assholes? And yeah, that's gonna happen no matter what. You know tons of shows people talking over you people yelling at you no one's ever thrown anything at me um (laughs) for the most part it's very well received and there are people that that are there for the whole night um I've I've grown to love that job I don't know how much I'll get to do it in the future, but being the lady with the guitar that opens for metal bands, uh, I did that for many years and I had a really great time doing it. (laughs) I'm super grateful to those people and to the community that has been so accepting of me. Yeah. Actually the hardest, I, I did the hardest shows I played as a solo artist were probably opening for Woven Hand in Europe. I think specifically like this one show in Amsterdam There were like a thousand people there there were plenty of nights on that tour i love woven hand i'm a huge fan like huge 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 and um i'm friends with the guys in the band and stuff now but there were plenty of nights on that tour but specifically amsterdam people would just you know not be nice and when you're singing the kind of music i do on stage it can be disheartening but for the most part it's like you know i toured with king buzz from the Melvins, and he's like man we show up we get on stage this is our job you know we're in a bar where their job is to sell alcohol like people paid to get in here if they want to sit in front of you and like talk to their friend who cares
0: so i kind of just adopted
1: that attitude from him like he went in every night put on a great show i certainly loved watching him and He just didn't care at all, like if the audience was so I tried to take that and run with that kind of sentiment. But for the most part, people are very cool.
0: Yeah, that's when they're not,
1: I have King Buzzo in my mind protecting me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I could just see like a disembodied, like King Buzzo head just appearing out of the clouds (laughs)
1: to like give you advice. (laughs) Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah. But I, I think there is, I don't know, like Marissa and I were talking about this. Like, I think there is kind of, from my experiences, I, I feel like I've seen more diverse metal bills than I have like indie rock or, you know, folkish bills. Like I I've seen more diverse bills and I've seen more people stay for every single set. Like at shows, like, is, is that something that you've experienced as well? Like, have you ever like? Uh, I okay, guess like open yeah. open open for an indie rock band <laughs> or something like that.
1: It Was a nightmare. I had to drop off the tour actually. Oh no. Yeah, it was bad. It was really really bad. We were they were great. I won't talk about the bands that I was on tour with. Were fabulous people. They were wonderful, welcoming, but their audiences hated me. Like hated us. It was so painful. We were like. You know, I don't know if the inner workings of how tour is, but for someone at my size at that time, like our whole income and ability to sustain on the road comes from merch sales. We were like not selling any merch. It was brutal. We had to drop off the tour. Um not to the fault of anyone we were on tour with. But uh, that definitely just made me appreciate the the world of heavy music even more. I think that there's a really committed community here. I count myself as one of them. You know, I listen to a lot of metal. Um, I appreciate a diverse bill. I'm there to hear it all. And I'm grateful to be part of a community that sort of values that, that diversity um, in their choices when it comes to what they listen to.
0: Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really funny. Like, I, I feel like, um, not only like are fans of indie rock, not willing to see openers. I just feel like when they get, like, even if a band that they are excited about seeing are on stage, like there is this weird posturing, even though the, the house lights are down And it's dark in in the room. I I just feel like there's this stiffness to it. I don't know what it is.
1: Oh, yeah. I don't know. I think I can. It's also really like as a performer, there's every city has such a different identity um, with how they respond at a show. You know, like I'm from Los Angeles. I know that LA shows are going to be more standoffish. Like, just
0: right. Yeah. How
1: yeah. I we guess are I, as Angelinas, we kind of stand there, you know? Um, yeah.
0: I guess New York and LA. Yeah. I I guess I've, I've spent most of my life in New York. I live in Philly now, but okay. and I think I'm, I'm speaking from a jaded New Yorkers perspective, maybe.
1: See, Philly is like goes off. I love Philly. Philly yeah. is like vocal moving around. Um, yeah, you start, as a performer, you start to have this, like, concept of each city as, like, an identity as a person. It's like, oh, I can't wait to see Philly, you know? They're going to turn up and be supportive and be cool and be vocal about it. Um, New York's actually changed my mind. I used to think it was more like L.A., but I've had to check in with reality. And every time I've been there in the last five or six years, it's been pretty lit. Like, people are pretty... But that's like you know, Vitus people right, yeah. turn up and they're like there for it, you know. So yeah, I don't know if it's a genre thing or if it's a um cultural thing per city. I don't know.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it is it is true regionally. Like I got, one thing I've noticed, you know, I've I've only been in Philly for you know I think like under two months. And of the shows I've been to, I've, I've been like, wow, people are dancing. Like, (laughs) like, like, where have I been? Like, how, how is this a thing at shows? I I just, I don't know. Yeah. Um, If you
1: grew up in New York, I could see that like in LA, that wouldn't happen either. I think it's cool to see in Europe. It's like way more common too. There'll be like somebody just fully having an experience over there. You're like, (laughs) yeah, go, go for it. Live your, do this. It's it's amazing. It's not, it's not something we're maybe used to seeing in those two
0: cities. <laughs> yeah. Um, so can you tell me about, uh, your, I guess your collaborations with thou? Um, I, I love that record in the EP. Um, I, I, love them so much. And, and is that something that you kind of want to continue, uh, a relationship with them making records or is that kind of done now or how, how did that start and where's it going?
1: I love them. Um, it started... Uh, thank you, by the way. I'm, I'm so stoked on that record. It was such a cool story, and it's, it's a metal fairy tale. I mean, <laughs> they were, like, my favorite band. I was listening to them a lot and kind of just, like, tagging them, and I'd be painting in my studio and, like, tag them when I was listening to them and on Twitter and... Then we played a festival together in Seattle and the promoter put us in the same green room. I mean, I was like a massive fan of theirs. So I was terrified to meet them. Super embarrassed. They're such cool people. I mean, Mitch, the bass player was like immediately hit that festival. I, you know, I'm, I'm like terrified standing in the corner trying to figure out how I'm going to do this like one woman acoustic guitar show at northwest terror fest metal thing you know and (laughs) um here comes mitch wearing a 311 shirt going yeah so what's your musical like guilty pleasure what band do you are you like embarrassed for other people to like know that you listen to and i'm like i i was not ready for that at all you know and they're all there's a bunch of them they're they're like collect them all the vow group Um, yeah right just fantastic people. Anyway, they reached out to me about the collaboration because of the Roadburn um, artist in residence, the residency that they were going to do for 2019, or yeah, it was 2019. Um, so we're like, okay, we'll we'll throw together a set for Roadburn, and it just like one thing after another, you know. It turned into an album, and we spent a lot of time. It started with like back and forth on the internet emails then it started with visits i'd go down there they'd come up to me because i was living in louisville kentucky at the time um and over the course of the year you know we did a lot of back and forth trips writing trips um we did one in nashville then we toured together we went to roadburn and then in august of 2019 we recorded the album and the ep So it really was like a true collaboration. I mean, all those songs are like Frankensteins of different riffs we had. And it was such a great experience. Four guitars playing the same riff, you know, we're all tuned way down. Got to play some fun solos, got to work with my favorite band on earth and got some great friendships out of it. So I don't know that we'll do another album. I think that there's a possibility at some point, you know, we were meant to tour that record and didn't get a chance to because of the, um, the world the state of the COVID stuff. So who knows? Maybe we'll get to perform it down the road, but I don't, I don't know what, what lies ahead. I would not, not want to project one way or another. But it was definitely a one-off thing intended to be for the specific purpose of playing a set at Roadburn.
0: Right. What was the um was the EP recorded at the same time as the record? Uh, so yeah. those were, those were like B sides from the record.
1: Yes. Exactly.
0: Got it. Got it. Oh man, I, I yeah, I I would love to see those songs live. I I hope I hope at some point you can do something small, like a small tour or something. That'd be that'd be fantastic. Yeah,
1: I would love that too. I think we all want to do it. It's just a matter of being able to make it happen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well well Emma, thank you so much for, for doing this. Um I, I I can't say it enough. I've I've been a fan for a long time and, and I think this record is is really something special. And I, I can't say that enough. And congratulations on it. Is there is there anything that we missed that we didn't talk about that you want to talk about?
1: Um I- No, I I think that was a great conversation. So I'm very pleased. Thank you for your time and um, your insight. Uh, Yeah, I think that's great.
0: Cool. All right. It's great meeting you.
1: All right. Thank you, Patrick. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye.